0: It is my honor and it is my privilege to be here this morning to be able to preach uh, from God's word. And um, we are going to be continuing through our series in 1 Corinthians called Untangled, where we see and understand that the church in Corinth was actually not really that uh, it, that much better off than the church today. And just as The church today has many issues that we need to untangle. Yeah, the church in Corinth and the church from then until now and the future will always have entanglements, things that we need to uh, untangle. Well, we're going to be in chapter 9, finishing chapter 9, starting at verse 19 this morning. But before we do that... uh, I just wanted to share some of the exciting things that are happening in the Malone household. And uh, it is spring and almost summer, and so we are doing baseball. And let me tell you, this has been exciting for us. My boys, Benjamin and Lucas, five and seven, uh, have joined the Pacific Little League uh, organization, and they are playing in farm pitch baseball. And it is a riot. Let me tell you, I'm uh, I'm the assistant coach, and so my main duty as assist- assistant coach is uh, dugout coach. So I'm making sure that no injuries happen in the dugout. Which I just want to say, that's actually the hardest position. Okay, so uh, I have said things that I never thought I would say at a baseball game, and um, kids are just, they want to climb those fences, but not when I'm on duty. Um, so, but it's funny because. So in Farm Pitch, this is a league where there's a machine that pitches to the kids, and they're just really beginning to learn the fundamentals and the basics of baseball. And and the goal is that they would have fun. Well, one of the things that they said early on is, we don't keep score. (laughs) We don't keep score. Come on. At the end of the game, do you know what the first thing every kid says every kid, they're like, we won. Can you believe it? We won. And it's great because then you listen to the other team and they're saying, we won. We, can you believe it? We won. You know. So the kids, they're excited about the score, but do you know who the worst culprit is? It's the parents. And I have permission for my wife to share this, okay, because she's the worst of them all. She is keeping track and she will come up between the innings and she'll look through the fence and she'll be like, we got four runs that inning, right? Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Hey, the other team, they only got one, right? And so at the end of the game, she knows the score. And, and at our two games ago, is was funny because one of the kids asked their dad, and, and this dad, he actually has, he has the book and everything. He's marking down strikes and, and walks. Well, we don't have strikes and walks, but he's, he's marking down runs. And the son says, hey, Dad, who won? And he just shrugs his shoulder, and I look over to him. I said, you know who won, don't you? And he looks at me, and he's like, yeah, I know. I know who won. The parents got to keep score. We always keep score. No matter what it is, we always keep score because why? We want to win, right? We just, we want to know if we won or not. And we care about winning in all things because it's important to us. No one ever enters into a game or into a competition or into a challenge uh, thinking, oh man, I really hope I lose this. Like we just don't do that. We want to win because when we win, there is something to gain, and when we lose, there is something to be lost. Now, in a game, it might be losing a championship. It might be losing a trophy, but as we get older, winning and losing could be the difference between gaining or winning a raise. It could be the difference of gaining a promotion. It could be the difference of recognition or no recognition, popularity, no popularity. In life, we keep track and we are concerned about winning because there is something to be gained or there is something to be lost. And Paul understands this very well because in this passage, in, in, cha- in chapter 9, verses 19 through 20, uh, 27, we see that Paul is concerned about winning life. And so we are actually going to be asking the question, how do we live a winning life? I want to stop there for a number of reasons, okay? First, um, at the risk of sounding like Charlie Sheen, and some of you may get that reference, um, and and at the risk of sounding like a a prosperity gospel of like, all we're going to do is like, Jesus just wants us to win, 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 and it's all good, good, good. I want to be clear that that is not what we're talking about with a winning life, all right? And I hope that as we, as we dig into this passage, you will get a clear picture of what that life looks like, all right? And you will understand that a winning life in the gospel is not necessarily, in fact, it's not what most people around might picture as a winning life. But the truth is that Paul is saying you can live a life where there is something to gain and you can live a life where there is something to lose, And that's what we need to understand. So we are going to see in this passage how we live, live a winning life in the gospel. If you have your Bibles, I hope you're open to 1 Corinthians 9, and we are going to read the passage starting at verse 19. Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning. We are thankful to be together as your children. Jesus, we are thankful that we can be here united in the work of the cross, that we can be here because of the life you have given. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will speak to us, convict us, encourage us, change us to look like Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So I wanna take one little step back and remind ourselves of the context, where we are in this letter. And, and Paul is dealing with one of the many issues in Corinth, and that was the issue of Christian freedom and Christian liberty. And there was a problem in Corinth where the, uh, the Corinthian believers were abusing their freedom and their rights in Christ. Good thing we don't struggle with that today, right? That was a joke, all right? There was an issue, and they were abusing their freedom in Christ. And so Paul had to, is, is explaining in, this, in these chapters how, what Christian freedom ought to look like and when we use it and why we use it. And last week, we see that Paul did not use his freedom to claim what he could have, but he sought to give up his freedom. He sought to give up his rights for the purpose of serving Christ untethered. He wanted to share the gospel untethered, and he was willing to give up his rights to do that. And Paul was sharing this in the context of how he was serving in the church. Well, today in this passage, Paul is still explaining what Christian freedom looks like in his life, but in the context of to those outside the church, to those relationships outside of the church. And so we're going to see how he uses his freedom there and how that freedom can lead to a life of gain and not loss. So the first thing that we see is that we win when we sacrifice to win others, all right? We win when we sacrifice to win others. Paul was all about winning people over to the Lord. He says it in in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul was willing to become a servant, to give up his rights, so that some people might come to hear the gospel and to know Jesus personally. He was willing to make himself a slave To others, he was willing to be a slave to the other's traditions, to the other's um, culture, to the other's food, to, to all the things of a different people. He was willing to submit and to give up his own comforts and preferences and submit himself to the different customs and traditions to those who didn't know the Lord. Around him. And he gives four examples of this. He gives four examples of how he made himself a slave, a servant to others for the purpose of winning them to Jesus. And we see this the first one. Is in verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became as as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And then we skip ahead. And then he says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And then finally in verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. So we had these four groups, right? To the Jews, to those who are under the law to those who are outside the law and to the weak in each one of these has there's a significance behind it in the first one he says to the jews i became as a jew now this is this is a big deal because paul was born and raised a jew he was one of the most religious of religious Jewish people growing up. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. And here, what he is saying is, I became as a Jew, is he just said, I am not a Jew anymore. That is not how I see myself. That is not how I identify myself, but I will be as a Jew. I will do things like the Jewish people do so that I might reach them For Christ, being a believer, being a follower of Jesus is who he is, but he would identify and see himself as a Jew and and submit to the customs and the culture and, and and some of the rules that they lived by. And then he expands that a little more, and he says, to those under the law. Now, this would have been referring to to Jews, but also Gentiles who came into the Jewish faith, who placed themselves under the law. And and he says, to those people, I became as one under the law. But he gives this disclaimer, right? He gives this disclaimer. He says, though not being myself under the law. Because he wanted the people over here who didn't observe the law to to understand that he wasn't saying, We need we need the law to be saved, but he's making the point that he he became like them in certain areas. We're We're gonna clarify that. And then he says, But to those who had no law, he became like them. But he also gives another disclaimer. He says, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And so he's saying, he's saying, listen, I know what you're thinking by me saying I'm not under the law, that there's like, there's no rules, there's no regulations, I can do what I want. He's like, my boundaries are within the boundaries of Christ. I live in and through him. I obey him. But Paul is making these disclaimers for both sides to say that I'm willing to step into their lives, to step into their customs, to step into their traditions. I will eat their food. I will not eat certain foods so that I can win them over to the Lord. Now, this is what's really fascinating. In verse 22, he says, to the weak, I became weak. All the other times, he said, I became as a Jew. I became as one who is under the law, as one who is not under the law. Now, he says, I became weak so that I could win the weak. Now, the weak, they were, they were those who were oppressed. They were looked down upon. They were shunned. People, if you saw the weak, you just looked the other way. In this culture, you didn't want to be recognized and seen with anyone um, who, who was part of this group of people. It might hurt your reputation. It might hurt your business it might hurt a lot of things. It was not beneficial for you to spend time with the outcast. It was not beneficial for you to spend time with people that other people looked down on. And Paul says, I became one of them so that I could win them. What would what would that look like? I think in you know, in a lot of senses, it would kind of be like Paul saying today in here in Seattle, he's like, I didn't go to the gospel union, union gospel mission. I lived in the homeless shelters. I became one so that I could share the gospel, so that I could relate and step into their lives. Paul wanted to show empathy. And he wanted them to know that he cared. I was introduced to this uh, fascinating article uh, written about a senior living facility that used what were called empathy suits. Have you ever heard of an empathy suit before? You should go on Amazon and get one. Uh, I have some pictures up here. Uh, and empathy, they use these as a part of a new staff training program to help stimulate the physical challenges faced by older patients and those living with a disability. The suits are fitted with straps, weights, and braces to manipulate the body and restrict movement, sight, and hearing. They did, uh, the, the people who worked in this facility did this, and one said, empathy is really different to sympathy, so it's important to experience that for yourself, and then you really understand what the needs are of the person and so you can kind of, these pictures kind of reveal what these people went through for a day or a few days to better understand what it was like to live in these circumstances, what it was like to not have clear vision, what it was like to not be able to move your arms or your legs or, or to not be able to, to hardly walk. And they did this so they could empathize with them for the purpose of working better with the people. They did this for the purpose so they could empathize and work better with the people. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, I will give up my comforts. I will experience awkwardness and discomfort so that I can step in to show the people that I genuinely care about who they are, what they're doing. Now, in all of this, though, it's important to recognize that Paul's methods changed, but the message never changed. Paul never compromises the gospel message. He never compromises the truth of the scriptures, but his methods, oh man, they changed based on who he was with. Some people call him the chameleon missionary because when he was with one group of people, he would live and act out a, a, a different way than when he was with another group. And it wasn't hypocritical. He was always true to the scriptures. He was always true to the gospel message. But he knew and he thought and he prayed, what, what stumbling blocks am I carrying with me that I just don't need? What traditions can I just set aside for a while so that I can reach people to know Jesus. Paul's methods changed, but not the message. So we look at this, and the question that I ask myself and for all of us is, so where do we fall? Where do we fall in all of this? Paul had four groups of people that he mentioned that he had in mind, very different groups Separate groups, groups that did not get along, groups that didn't even want to spend any time with each other, and yet Paul was willing to step into each of those spheres to share the gospel. Paul was willing to sacrifice his rights and freedom to win them. You know, we could spend a lot of time breaking apart Paul's chameleon methods and I've had a lot of conversations and a lot of ink has been spilled on, well, what can you give up and what shouldn't we give up and what should we take on and what shouldn't we take on? And that, that conversation ought to happen. But I don't think that that's our first conversation that we need to have here today. Paul had four groups of people that he knew he wanted to reach. Here's my question to you. And I had to ask myself the same. Can you, can you list four people right now that you want to see come to know the Lord? Can you list two people that you have prayerfully been seeking opportunities to reach and share Christ with them? Can you list one person who you have sacrificially loved and given up your rights and your comforts so that they can know Jesus? That's what Paul's saying here. You want a winning life, you sacrifice so that others might be won for Christ. And I think that's where we need to start. There was one article, a pastor uh, named Stephen Lee, he wrote about four obstacles to evangelism. He said, there's, there's four things I think that kind of sum up why we don't evangelize, why we don't share the gospel. He said, one is there's a lack of gospel knowledge, Simply meaning we have a hard, some people have a hard time simply sharing the gospel message. Simply. We feel uncomfortable. We don't know exactly what it is. What can I say? What's heresy? What's not heresy, right? Like, we get really uncomfortable. Could you share the gospel message in 60 seconds, right now, if somebody asks you? So a lot of us lack, have a lack of gospel knowledge. Another obstacle is apathy, some of us just don't care much about the lost people. We wouldn't say it, but our priorities in our lives reveal it. Some of us have the ob- obstacle of fear. We're terrified. We're terrified. What if they judge me? What if they don't like me? What if they ask a question that I can't answer? What if they think I'm somebody like Westboro Baptist? What if ah? we're fearful and it's an obstacle And finally, some have a lack of compassion. We lack a compassion for the lost because we forget what it was like to have been lost ourselves. And so he shares these things, and he says, these are all obstacles. And so today I bring those up to you because I want you to ask yourself, are one of those an obstacle? Are a few of those an obstacle for you? What do you need to do to jump it, to get over that obstacle? Because Paul is saying, if you want a winning life, we win when we sacrifice to win others to the Lord. If anything, this morning when you walk out those doors, I hope you have the name of one or two people who are ready and willing to sacrifice so that they might know the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that, that you have to go sell your house, but what I am saying is that to relate to people, you are going to have to step into their world and you are going to have to give up of yourself, of your time, of yourself so that you can reach them. What does that look like? What does it mean? It means that maybe you're going to have to not go golfing on Saturday morning so that you can spend time with a neighbor. Maybe it means you're going to have to pick up a new interest or learn an interest that you weren't really, you didn't really care about before, but you know, your, your friend is very interested in turtles. And so you know what? I'm going to learn about turtles because I want to have a conversation. You know, I talk with a lot of guys who you know, they're, they're really not into sports, but they're like, I follow sports because I want to be able to have a conversation with other guys about sports. And, it, and it's a good conversation segue. So those are some small areas. We have a missionary family who's ready to go overseas and they're about to embark on, one, before going over for one year, they are going to learn a new language so that they can share the gospel. Sharing the gospel requires sacrifice. So who are you going to share the gospel with, and what do you need to sacrifice so they can hear it? Paul goes on to say, he says, we win when we discipline ourselves for eternity. Here, he uses a common athletics analogy that his readers would have been familiar with. To make a point, of what a winning faith looks like. In verse 24, again, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Paul says, listen, coasting across the finish line is not an option here. I ran cross country many moons ago in the days of hair. And I wasn't really fast, but it was a good experience. And there was something that I learned uh, that was very valuable. There are two things I learned when you finish, okay? When you finish a race, one is you had better give it all you got. And two, it is embarrassing to get passed. Because whenever they make these courses, the last 100, 200 yards of the course, of the race, is in like an open field so that all the spectators can come. Now, on one hand, you're like, oh, that's great. You know, they can cheer you on. Yeah, but you can also get embarrassed. And I remember it was like, you know, you could have a horrible race, but once you got to that opening— you had better run and run fast because you knew that Coach Goldstein was going to have words with you if someone passed you. And the only excuse you would have is if you were throwing up after the finish line. Coach was there and he was saying, come on, Malone, you got to push it. I want to so see you give it all you got. You, don't have, you can't have anything left when you cross that line. And we pushed it towards the end. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen. We are running a race, and we have got to run to win. You can't coast. You can't take it easy. That's not an option in this life. We win when we discipline ourselves for eternity. So why do we discipline ourselves? Well, first, we discipline ourselves because the reward is great, but the loss is costly. The reward is great. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paul is referencing here what was called the Isthmian Games or Isthmus Games, all right? They went every two years opposite of the Olympics, all right? And I have a picture up here of what the reward was. Now, on the left side, you'll see a crown. That is, it's not a wreath, it's a crown. And the victor of a sport would receive a crown that looked like that and it was made out of pine, right? Now, can you imagine how long is that going to last? In my house with two boys, about 30 minutes, all right? But it's not, it's not going to last very long. It's very perishable. It's going to wither away. And Paul's making this point. He's like, listen, guys, these people are, are, are practicing self-control and discipline so they can get a wreath that's going to rot away in a few days. We are after something. Our reward is so much greater. It is imperishable. It is a crown of life. It is a crown that we will have for eternity. I believe Paul has two things in mind. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, he talks about the works of the believer and how we can build into God's kingdom and how we can use different materials. And he relates it to the materials that are like stone and precious gems and strong materials. And then he says, but then people's works can be related to straw and stubble and hay. And he says that one day, there's going to be a judgment and there's going to be a fire and those building materials are going to be put to the test. And guess what? If your building material was straw, rubble, and hay, what's going to happen to it? It's gone. But if you use the real deal, if you use the stone, you use lumber, the precious gems, that stuff lasts. And Paul is saying that, that we need to run the race because our reward is eternal. Paul was looking forward, and he saw the scene when he's before the Lord, and one of two things can can be said. The Lord can say, well done, good and faithful servant, or the Lord could say nothing. And Paul understood the eternal value of this imperishable reward, and he wanted it. And he says, Listen, the reward is great, but the loss is costly. At that very end, in verse 27, he says, But I discipline, I buffet it, I even beat my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What does he mean? Well, he not saying, like, if I mess up, if I don't, if I don't share the gospel with enough people, I guess I'm gonna lose my salvation. Hear me clearly, that is not what he is saying. But there is a disqualification that can happen back to the building with rubble versus precious stone. Paul is saying he does not want to be found where his works were done out of selfishness, where his focus was off and his works were burned to the ground. He wants his works to be real and eternal for the glory of God and for the building of his kingdom. So the reward is great and the loss is costly. So then how do we discipline ourselves? Well, he says it in two ways. The first in verse 25 is we exercise self-control. We exercise self-control in our, in our lives. You know, the Olympics are going to be happening in Tokyo this summer, I think. All right, 2021. And you know what? They've been happening in a while, but they've, they've been happening in a pretty long time, and yet we are all continually glued to the screen, or, and, and we want to know what's happening. What is so fascinating? What brings our attention to the Olympics? It's because of the athletes. It's because we know these athletes are unlike any other people in the world. And we know when we're watching them uh, perform that they have had an unparalleled level of self-control, right? I just think to myself, what have these people said yes to and no to? Like how much good food did they say, I can't eat that? That's why I can't be a professional athlete, right? How much leisure did they pass up? How many relationships did they have to not have to pursue this? Every aspect of their life is consumed by the sport and it is overwhelmed by their self-control. And Paul says, listen, the athlete shows self-control. You too need to show self-control on what to do and on what not to do. And then he goes on and he says, the second thing, the way that we do it is by that we are focused. We are focused. In verse 26, he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating uh, at, at the air. He's focused. How ridiculous would it be for a boxer to get in the ring and then he faces the other way and starts just hitting at the air? You're like, oh, he's not gonna last too long, right? Another baseball analogy, if you will, One of the most exciting things about Farm Pitch is that it's fun and funny. And we all know why it's funny, right? Because the kids are out in the outfield, and they're doing everything but what? But playing baseball. One of my favorite uh, quotes this year It happened. My son, uh, you know, he's out there, and the coach is like, hey, Johnny, pay attention. Hey, Joe, pay attention. Bob, pay attention. Lucas, pick up your glove. It's like... You look out there, and after the second inning, the kids, like, they lost it. You realize quickly they're there for the snacks at the end of the game, right? And they're just spinning around where the coaches were like, man, it's a minefield out in the outfield because the kids, they get down, they just are making holes. You walk through. It's just like, now, a lot of times you say, oh, these kids, they need to focus. I was thinking about it. I'm like, no, that's not the problem. Trust me. Lucas is very focused on that dandelion right now. The problem is he's not focusing on the game. And so Paul is making this point, focus on the game. Every one of us here, me included, we are focused today. We are focused on something. Paul says, get focused on the game. Be focused with your faith. There are so many things that can distract us and as he leads in and says in verse 27 so many things that could disqualify us. We could be distracted by retirement, saving up enough. We could be distracted by our physical fitness, by having the right an, uh, some good vacations ahead, by providing every opportunity for our children under the sun. We could be distracted by having the perfect home. All these things can become a focus that take our eyes off the game, that cost us, that cost us to be disqualified. It's the stuff that gets burned up. I'm not saying don't have a home. I'm not saying don't exercise. I'm just saying focus on what really matters. We end up looking, I, I, uh, I was thinking about the kids spinning around in the fields and we laugh at that. Imagine going to a Mariners game, and in the outfield, the professional players are looking for dandelions. <laughs> They're tickling the bellies. They're rolling around in the dirt. That's ridiculous. You'd, you'd feel awkward. You'd be like, this is, this is not right. But let's take it another level, because when we're not focused, we're not, it's not, we're not even as bad as the professional baseball players rolling around in the field. It's like we're picking dandelions more realistically, when a war is happening around us. Shots are being fired. Lives are being lost. And we're focused on a dandelion. Paul says, no. Aim, true, and focus. This is, what, this is what I believe God is asking us today. He's asking us to run to win. Run to win. Stop being complacent. Stop coasting. Stop being distracted by things that are going to be burned up and worthless. Pursue the eternal and reward by focusing on what matters, the gospel in our lives and the gospel being shared. How do you need to practice and show self-control in your faith today? What do you need to do? What do you not need to do to get ready so that you can practice self-control? I'm going to give you one small little thing To give you an example, and and Pastor Nick and I, we've talked about this a lot, but for me to be engaged with my devotion to the Lord, I set my cell phone in the kitchen counter at night before I go to bed, and I don't look at it before I go to bed, and I don't look at it until after my devotions. I'm going to be honest. Am I always perfect at that? No. You can help me by not texting me at 10 p.m., okay? (laughs) but I know myself enough to know that I have got to stop putting the clutter in my life late and in the morning because I will not make time for the Lord. That's one area where I recognize I need to practice self-control, and I'm still working at it. I always go to Nick, and I'm like, ah, did it again, Nick. I was watching YouTube, but like, too late. What was, it wasn't worth it, right? But we got to practice self-control. What is distracting you that could be a disqualifier for you today? What dandelions are you picking? Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you. We thank you that you have given us a life, a life where we can win. You've given us a life to share the gospel and the good news of your son. Help us to embody that, to live that out. Help us to run to win today. In Jesus Christ, his name we pray, amen.